hello there. How are you? How are you doing? Welcome back to another episode of the You're Not Too Busy podcast, which against all odds, I am actually posting on time. I really didn't think I would. I thought I would flop again. I was lazy. I was tired. I wrote an exam today. But alas, here we are. We are doing the deed because I am not too busy to record a podcast and you are not too busy to do whatever it is that you are putting off and that you want to do, but you feel like you just don't have enough time. The ever so chronic ever so chronically busy 20-something-year-old. You guys know the gist. It's what the podcast is about. So I showed up. I recorded the podcast. I'm doing I'm doing the stuff. Anyways, 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 let's get into our weekly catch-up. So I'm back in school. For those who don't know, I was on vacation for like a month-ish, kind of, slash I just wasn't in person in the hospital uh, for a month. And I had to go back two weeks ago. I've been on my anesthesia rotation, which is a mandatory rotation for us. And getting back into things has been tough. It's been, it's been, it's been interesting. I mean, honestly, like it got to the point of I was off for so long that I was excited to come back. I miss school. I miss being productive. I miss my routine. And that's all good and nice. But um, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I'm totally in the headspace. I feel like I realized how carefree and fun life could be on vacation and not that medical school isn't cool and fun sometimes but it is a little more high stress just a tad and I've just been honestly dealing with just like guilt of feeling like I'm not doing enough uh feeling like I'm not working hard enough and that's just been real I'm just being real with you guys don't really know how if I have a solution to that but I just want to talk about it because I know we all feel this shit because I know we all feel this stuff, um, and I want to talk to you guys about problems that I haven't totally figured out yet as they're happening, instead of only telling you when I know the solution, but you know, we're going to work on it, we're working on it, and I just try to remind myself that my study methods, my methods of going by my day-to-day life, my prioritizing balance, all these stuff um, that I that I really try to implement in my day-to-day life, um, they've gotten me this far, like, Obviously, there's been points in my life where I was toxically overstudying and not taking care of myself. But for the most part, at least for the past few years, I've had pretty good work-life balance that I'm pretty proud of and works for me. And I haven't failed yet. <laughs> um, I've done well. I've had successes on paper. At least sometimes it's hard to appreciate them myself. But from a third party, I can see that I am by societal standards a moderately successful 20-something-year-old. I need to remind myself that I've done this while maintaining a good work-life balance, while not overstudying, while taking nights off, and I don't need to start to change that now because some other people around me uh, don't have those same views on on how to go about their studying, their career, so on. Um, So just reminding myself where, yeah, how far I've come, and same goes for you. If, If you feel like you're doubting yourself and comparing yourself to others, just Remind yourself that you and this other person, let's say you're both in medical school, you're both in another program, you're both at the same job, they may work harder in your eyes, but you also don't know what they're doing behind closed doors. But at the end of the day, no matter how each of you work or how each of you go about your day to day, you ended up in the same spot, right? Um, so follow your gut. I don't know. We're, we're working on it. We're working on this comparison little thing. But yeah, there's just no run, one right way to do things is what I try to remind myself. Anyways, my other my other little step in the right direction to try to combat these feelings of feeling like I'm not working hard enough, feeling a little scattered is, is working my organization again. 
kind of go in waves of like I like being super super organized and then I like being super like kind of carefree I guess I don't know if that's the right word but like I go through phases where I really want to keep an agenda and I journal all the time and I schedule my day to the T and I really follow it and that really works for a while but then I get super burnt out and I just want to like wake up and just like do what needs to get done and not worry too much about the timing and so on and honestly it works for me to kind of flip-flop I like to change it up keep things fresh stay motivated but I feel like I need more organization in my life so I got a planner I've also been scheduling my days I've been putting on timers on my phone when I study and just picking up those little habits to start to optimize my productivity a little bit more it's okay to not always be productive but there's also times in your life where you need to be so I'm working on it and maybe we can talk about it more in the future but I want to keep this short because we have a super cool interview later in this episode but this brings me to my energy givers lately and basically these are the little little tips and tricks that I've been doing to boost my mood but also boost my productivity really enjoy journaling just writing things down working through thoughts in my head this is another thing I go through ways from I either like journal every day or not for a few months and now I have it for a few months but I'm getting back into it and I've really been enjoying that as well making lists recapping summer xyz I've also really been getting back into reading. I've always loved reading. I've been a bookworm since I was a kid. But when life gets busy, I tend to stop reading because like, oh, I have so many more important things to do. So many research articles to read instead. Social media posts to read. But no, just like carefree reading. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction, but I've also been trying to read more and more fiction lately. Because that's like the most carefree reading in my mind. I mean, there's always a great message from every fiction book I read. But it's like pure fun like non-productive in a sense like non-fiction books are productive but reading fiction is just enjoyable um and I've read some really good books lately I just read the five people you meet in heaven and that was a beautiful beautiful book I'd love to like literally just take a whole podcast episode time about what that book taught me and I read it in 24 hours like I swallowed that book I really recommend uh, and the other book I read was the seven husbands of Evan Hugo Think I'm think that's the title or Evelyn Hugo and her seven husbands, something like that. Anyways, it's also really great, just a fun fiction book that I really enjoyed reading and I read really quickly. My last energy giver again is a little wellness tip or trick, and that's been spin classes. I've been going to more and more spin classes over the past few months, but lately it's like been the only workout I'm really craving, and just I really enjoy it. It's so cathartic in a sense, and I really like the spin classes. I'm sure there's probably some studios nearby wherever you live. But they do them like in the dark with like fun lights and really loud music and you like almost feel like you're at a club and you can like dance especially after like being in in the pandemic for the past two years I have not been to a club to dance so this really (laughs) releases that for me in a sense it's not the same but but in a sense um yeah but that's just to say like find a workout you actually enjoy like sometimes I get more into weight training or more into hit training or xyz um wow I've been saying xyz a lot okay sorry if that's annoying but anyways those just I haven't been craving those and that's okay too like it's okay to just not do weights for a while even if like you know that lifting weights is good for your health like if you're not really vibing with it try something else just move in a way that feels good for you keep things good for both your physical health and your mental health simultaneously energy takers uh the weather getting colder I'm never gonna be a go fall kind of girl like I can get behind fall once it's happening there's some things I like about it I like I like the bundling up I do love pumpkin and cinnamon and all the fall vibes I love Halloween I love dressing up 
but like I'm never gonna like want fall like summer can go all year round and I will be the happiest little camper so yeah the weather's getting colder here in Toronto but it is what it is my next energy taker kind of what I spoke about earlier but just being scattered like I usually try to clean my room every day before bed but I wasn't really doing that for a while um, I also hadn't like gone through and like things like organize my email, organize my bag, just those little things that like, once you do them, you just feel so much more centered and aligned and ready to take on the day. I wasn't good at doing all those things, but we're getting back into it. We're getting less scattered, a little less scatterbrained. And the last one relates to what I was talking about earlier, but just imposter syndrome, like feeling like I don't deserve to be where I'm at because I do things differently than someone else or for whatever reason. I mean, I know we all deal with imposter syndrome, not trying to say like, it's just a me thing. It's not all in our own ways, I'm sure. Or honestly, if you don't, I'm jealous of you. Um, But yeah, we're working on it. I need to make a whole episode on imposter syndrome because I just have a lot to unpack with that for myself and hopefully for your benefit as well. All right, now finally, the quote of the week is spend less time watching other people live their lives and spend more time enjoying your own. Again, guys, we're stepping away from comparison this week. We are focusing on us. We are letting other people live their lives their way. But remind ourselves that we need to make decisions every single day, every hour, every minute that make us happier and bring us closer to our true passions or true purpose. And as long as we do that, we'll end up in the right place. I hope. I think. Anyways, I'm figuring this out right along with you guys, but let's get into this week's interview because it is super, super good one, and I know you guys will love it. It's a topic that I've had a lot of questions or a lot of people asking me to talk about, and it is gut health and the gut microbiome, and what does that mean? And from a science perspective, from an expert, like break it down. What is the truth here, and what do we need to do to optimize our gut health, and what kind of things can happen when it's not optimized? So today we have Dr. Erica Engel coming on to teach us all about the gut, the gut microbiome, and she is just so inspiring, so incredible. We also talked just about the importance of having scientific knowledge, being able to understand the sort of information, digest it, go through it. So it's going to be a really great episode. I'm going to get right into it and introduce you guys to Dr. Engel, but I'll see you on the other side. All right, everybody, let's welcome Dr. Angle. I'm so, so excited for this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's jump right into it because I feel like the term gut microbiome is really seen everywhere these days. It's become almost a buzzword, especially in the wellness and health industry. But I quickly realized that many people, many businesses, and many products don't actually know what that refers to or how it works. I'd love if you could kind of break down what is the gut microbiome and why is having a healthy one so important? I wish it was true that everybody knew about it. So uh, yeah, I think this is a great question just so that we we kind of bring everyone up to speed. Um, So the gut microbiome is the, essentially the, the trillions of little critters that live in your small intestine, large intestine, and your stomach. Um, Right. So they are bacteria, fungi, viruses, uh, frankly, even the various types of cells that are living in there. So collectively, they comprise the microbiome. So the digestive system is made up of your mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine. And then the microbiome is made up of all of the uh, I call them critters, but bacteria, fungi, viruses, uh, primarily that reside in your digestive tract. Why is it important? Well, um, 
you know, more and more research is, is pointing to its sort of various functionalities, but high level, um, these critters are responsible for breaking down and absorbing the nutrients that you take in from, you know, essentially your diet. But they're also important for things like hormone regulation, um, for secreting different types of chemicals, whether they be um, precursors to neurotransmitters, uh, different types of, you know, biochemicals in the body that are responsible not just uh, for digestion, but for from everything from your cognitive function to emotional, uh, you know, balance to immunity and immune system function. Um, but but really, what happens? It's quite fascinating. Is these these creatures that are cohabitating, you know, with you in your gut, take in nutrients and spit out other nutrients um, after digesting and processing them, and those become extremely important building blocks that help keep your other systems uh, health in the body running smoothly. That was a perfect explanation. I feel like everyone kind of either uses way too much complex terminology or really oversimplifies it. So thank you so much for that. And I was watching one of your TED Talks online and you gave these really specific examples of why the phrase you are what you eat really holds true. And I found them so fascinating and I'd love to hear more about those. Yeah, you know, when you're young, your parents always tell you are what you eat um, when they try to, um, you know, feed you Brussels sprouts and things. And you always wonder, is this really true? Is this is this something that I should be doing? But, you know, when you think about it, our bodies run on the food that we eat. That's where we get all of our nutrients. There's no other input, right? Um, it's just that food that we put in our bodies. So it is so true that everything that you eat then is digested, processed, broken down by the microbiome. And then those nutrients, again, are used, whether it is to build your hair, to regenerate your organs, to, you know, to build your nails. I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. The, the building blocks have to come from somewhere. And so when they say you are what you eat, it's completely true. So the example that I commonly give um, is that of tryptophan. So tryptophan is an amino acid, which means that it's a, uh, a building block of protein. Um, you have to get it from your diet. You, don't, you can't get it any other way. It's an essential amino acid. Um, so let's say that you've decided to eat, whether it's turkey or fish or dairy products or nuts, seeds, many of these contain tryptophan in them. And you've, you've eaten that that travels through your digestive tract in your small intestine, the bacteria there start breaking down the food into its building blocks. Um, that tryptophan then is used by the body for a variety of different reasons. So tryptophan is actually a precursor of a compound called serotonin. Serotonin, of course, is very important for emotional health and well-being, but it's also important for digestive health. So it's responsible for uh, making sure that you're intestines are moving properly so that you're having good bowel movements. And serotonin is a precursor to melatonin. Melatonin, of course, the molecule that is responsible for helping you to sleep. So, you know, again, let's say you're saying, you know, I, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm not sleeping well. There's a problem. Sometimes you have to trace that problem back several steps and you realize, well, maybe you're not consuming enough protein in your diet. If you don't have enough tryptophan, 
it's likely you don't have enough serotonin, which means you don't have enough melatonin. So again, you know, these, these molecules are all very intimately connected, but they all start with what you're ingesting, what you're eating on the front end. That's so fascinating. Would you say that there's um, a direct link to certain foods and um, certain things we see, whether it be in physical health or mental health, or is it not as simple as let's say eat more turkey or eat more protein? It's never as simple uh, as do one thing in a vacuum. Um, but essentially, you know, for some of these things, it can be, right? I mean, it, it is possible that something is dietary. It is also possible that something is affected by, let's say you have a, we call it a dysbiosis of gut. So your, your gut is actually damaged and not allowing you to absorb the right types of foods. So it could be that you're not consuming enough protein, but it could also be that you're consuming enough protein. But if the gut is damaged and not properly able to break down the foods that you're eating and not properly able to absorb them, then you're not reaping the benefit of, of eating those foods. So there's multiple different factors. It's, it's why being able to pinpoint the source of the specific problem is so important because you might be doing everything right, but not solving for the right problem. Are there specific things that cause this dysbiosis in the gut that people can look out for? Or is this something that we haven't really figured out yet? Well, the good news is some of it is preventable. Um, you know, I, I'd say it, it comes down to some simple things, but simple things are often the, the most difficult to fix, right? So diet, um, a diet that's heavy in processed foods um, and really, you know, fatty foods and things that can potentially disrupt uh, the gut um, could be a problem. The other thing about the gut that's really fascinating is it adapts to what you put in it. So for example, if you're used to consuming, you know, let's say salads, leafy greens, protein, and then a stressful event happens, you decide you're going to sit down with your Ben and Jerry's every night um, and eat that and, you know, pizza and change your diet to a you know, more fat um oil, grease-oriented diet, your gut microbiome actually changes where the specific bacteria that used to go and digest leafy greens and, um, you know, the, the more healthful foods, you actually diminish their volume and increase the volume of bacteria that are used to consuming oils and fats and foods. So, it's bad because you've now shifted the ecosystem in your gut yourself and oftentimes those bacteria are not as um, beneficial. They're more invasive and they're not as, as, for lack of a better way of putting it, not as good for you to have. So, you know, you can control that to some extent by making sure that you maintain a diverse diet, lots of different types of foods because you have lots of different bacteria that are responsible for breaking them down. It maintains their diversity. It keeps that sort of competitive ecosystem um, of those bacteria so that none overgrow, uh, none outcompete, none of the species outcompete each other. So that's one. Um, stress management is another. Stress is uh, a killer. It, it actually, certain molecules get secreted that kill the microbiome. Uh, so you want to try to minimize your stress through mindfulness, meditation, um, you know, stretching, walking, anything that helps you to, to minimize your stress. And then physical activity. Um, you know, though there's not like a specific exercise that is tied to, you know, if you do 17 sit-ups, that's going to help with a specific type of bacteria. But 
general exercise, just movement in general is so important. It keeps your bowels moving. Um, it keeps your sort of happy chemicals uh, in your brain going. Um, so, you know, we always recommend any kind of movement that you can do, physical exercise, whether it's, you know, cardio, stretching, strength training, whatever, anything that you're willing to throw in um, will help you to keep your microbiome healthy. It's really interesting that uh, despite talking to people in many different fields, it always comes down to the same really core principles for a healthy and in health, in a healthy life, I guess. But it's really just like you're saying, eating colorfully, eating a whole food diet, moving, reducing stress. There doesn't seem to be some secret sauce. And I feel like that's what we're all looking for, what we all question the experts on, but it all kind of comes down to the same thing. And that's really, I guess, exciting, but also puts a lot of the onus on the individual to kind of put themselves first. And that can also be quite stressful in and of itself. You are absolutely right. So, you know, a lot of it is about personal accountability, right? Um, again, it is helpful to be able to know specifically if there are certain nutrients that are absent, because you don't always know that. It is helpful to know whether or not there's a, um, you know, a dysbiosis, which you can, you know, test for and look for. It is helpful to know if you're over-exercising. You know, some people become overzealous about it and they overdo it. And that's also not good. So, you know, we, we all have kind of a, you know, an area of comfort where our body is most happy and you have to find that. So, you know, I'm, I'm not really, I, I don't like to promote, you know, only eat these foods, only do these things uh, because really life is a lot about balance and finding the balance that's right for you. And that's the challenge because we're all, you know, different little bears and, and we, it, it, it means that we have to find what's right for us, sometimes through trial and error, but sometimes through, um, you know, through, through testing and, and just learning about our bodies. Totally. I mean, it, it really shows that the gut microbiome and it's kind of a perspective I'm seeing more and more in science as an organ in and of itself. And just like any other organ, there are going to be individual differences and you can't prescribe a one size fits all diet, one size fits all stress regimen or anything else to it. And really shows the importance that of having research progressing the field and learning more about these individual differences and how we can really tackle each person's unique composition of their microbiome, which really leads into what you're doing, what you've been doing with your career, which I'd love to hear more about and what led you to this point. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think um, my fascination with the microbiome started in my 20s when uh, I ended up with irritable bowel syndrome. And it's been something that I've had to control and manage uh, for my whole life. It's, it's triggered and activated by certain types of foods, by um, certain beverages, um, and then stress and lack of sleep and things. So, you know, it has been a, a journey for me, a personal journey. And I know a lot of folks struggle with GI issues. And so I think um, we're all on the page for that. In terms of how we got to the formation of Excella, um, it's a pretty interesting story. So I'm, I'm a scientist by training. So I have an undergrad degree from MIT and a PhD um, in biochemistry from Boston University School of Medicine. Um, I was really fortunate and seren serendipity plays so many roles in my life, but uh, lucky to meet my co-founder, now chief scientist, um, by accident, actually. Uh, again, like in many things in life, it, it happened. And, you know, he's an interesting guy, um, was an entrepreneur who had founded 
uh, a company ultimately sold and, and resold. Um, he's in his late 70s. So he's been in this space for more than 50 years. Um, really is considered to be one of the pioneers in the area of metabolomics. So we are a, uh, a metabolomics company, meaning that we look for molecules in uh, blood, urine, any kind of body fluid that help to define what does it mean to be at risk for a disease or to have a disease. And people often say, well, what's, what is metabolomics? I, I like to use the example, when you go to the doctor traditionally and they draw your blood and they, they look for cholesterol or they look for vitamin D, these are all metabolites. So it's, they're effectively metabolomics tests. So what we do is similar, right? So we take a blood sample and we look for different types of molecules in it to try to understand more about your health. Um, but Matt Wayne got really excited um, about uh, metabolomics and then started looking at some of his research that he's been doing over the last like I said, you know, 30, 40 years of his career. And what we what we started to see are some very interesting trends, um, you know, that there were certain markers that kept appearing over and over again in these different disease states that we were studying. And we were looking at Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, Huntington's, heart disease, autoimmune condition, cancers, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, pick a disease. We've, we've probably studied it at some point. And when looking at these samples, um, these same markers kept appearing as risk factors or disease progression markers or ultimately just overall markers of, of health and wellness. And when we took a step back and said, gee, this is fascinating, the same set of molecules keep coming up over and over. Where are they, where are they found in the body? And they were related to the gut microbiome. And ultimately, that's how Excella became interested in the gut and became a company that was um, you know, looking at the gut. So what is our product? We have a pinprick blood test that essentially looks at these molecules that I mentioned. Um, we look at the levels and if those molecules are out of range, we provide ways through diet, nutrition, fitness, uh, and even supplementation uh, to get them back into um, optimal range. That's so fascinating. So it's the same molecules you'd see in someone's blood test not, of course, of every disease, but of multiple disease states? And is it the same mechanisms to kind of help um, get them to that healthy gut state? Yeah, so that's the interesting part, right? So many of these things are, are in fact, relevant across these different disease states. Um, and to get them back into check, there are different strategies, right? So some are dietary. Um, you know, for example, the, the tryptophan example I gave earlier, if your tryptophan levels aren't uh, where they should be, you know, that's, yes, it's a dietary correction. So you can eat certain types of foods to help correct that. Um, with a molecule like serotonin, some of it's dietary, but some of it might also be in helping to heal the gut itself. And so you have to go and take, you know, precautions and measures to help heal the intestinal lining so that the gut starts to secrete serotonin and starts to be able to absorb and digest your tryptophan in order to produce more serotonin. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's different depending on the molecule, but the strategies are typically um, the same, right? So depending on the molecule, nutritional, uh, stress reduction, fitness, and in some case supplementation to help those levels. On that note, I'd love to get your perspective on a hot topic in the health and wellness world, 
by far. And that's like probiotics, prebiotics and all of that. Mm-hmm. And people taking them daily, only sometimes. And I know it's kind of a loaded question, but what's your take on that? Should everyone be taking their daily probiotic? No, I think you take things when you have a problem. Um, you know, I, I probiotics, vitamins, they're still drugs. Um, so we wouldn't tell you to just take something unless you knew you needed to. So again, this is one of the reasons why having a test to assess the health of the gut is so important because if you don't have a problem, um, why would, why take something, right? If it ain't broke, I think it's the, if it ain't broke, um, analogy. So Mm -hmm. it starts, I think it starts there. Probiotics are also really personal. Um, you know, it really depends on what your problem is. You know, do you have constipation? Do you have diarrhea? Um, you know, do you have a histamine intolerance? Do you have this? Do you have that? And so I think there is not enough information out there allowing people to find the probiotic that's best for them. And again, some of it's just trial and error. Sometimes you have to try and find the one that is best and right, you know, for you. Um, There is a certain amount of research that has been done on certain strains so that if you say, you know, I'm chronically constipated, what should I do? Which, which should I take? You can go and read the literature and, you know, there've been studies that have done showing that X species is actually really good at dealing with this issue. And so then when you purchase the product, just make sure that that species is actually a, a prevalent species in the product that you're buying. Because if you're buying something for a completely different reason, it, it is unlikely to work for you. Um, so I think there, it does take a little bit of research. This idea of the one size fits all is not right. Um, and then, you know, I guess in our minds, if you are, if you are set on take um, without a test and without spending the time, uh, you know, at least look for one that has a lot of diversity of species. So we recommend at least 15 different species, um, maybe more in it. And why is that? Well, because then you're not giving any specific one species um, all of the attention, right? So if you just take one species at a really high concentration, basically what you're doing is flooding your system with that one bacteria, right? And, And that skews again the competitive ratio of everything else in the gut so if you're going to do do it um, don't do it that way pick a probiotic that has lots of different species so that no one has the competitive advantage over the other but i think in general you know it's worth putting in a little bit more research depending on your problem research the strain and find a product that kind of fits for you yeah that makes sense Kind of on that note, um, I think most people, if they went to their family doctor or any other specialist and kind of told them of these problems you're mentioning, mental health problems, other physical problems, looking to evaluate the gut would not be the first thing that would come to mind. And I think it's, it's a topic that's starting to be discussed. We're discussing the importance of diet and different diseases, but really evaluating the gut, like you're saying, and finding out what the, what the imbalance is and how we can fix it isn't something at least I hear talked about often while in medical school. So- I'd love to hear your perspective of where you see this field going in the coming years. I mean, I think it's also very dependent probably in which country you're in and what's covered and what's not and so on. But I'd really love to see this kind of break out. And I think a lot more research needs to be done. But yeah, in general, like where do you see this um, in the field going in the next five, 10 years or so? That's a great question. I think some of it is that the field is still relatively new. And so there is hesitation 
you know, I think here's a similar analogy. You know, it took Western medicine 30 years, 50 years before, you know, high cholesterol was actually linked with heart disease um, because, you know, there was the need to study it and understand it and do view longitudinal data. And, and of course, that just takes time, right, to play out. So I think the field is still relatively new. Um, there are definitely products on the market that don't have a lot of scientific substantiation. So I think there's hesitation because there is a lot of hokey. And so, you know, when you can't trust everything, sometimes the idea is just like, oh, I'm just not going to bother because it's, you know, who knows? Is it real or isn't it real? Um, I think in our case, it's one of the things that makes ours easier, our product easier to understand because we're measuring molecules in general that folks have heard of and that have been researched before. It's just a different way. You know, there are different types of tests, right, for the health of the gut. There are stool sample tests. You've got DNA testing. You have um, urine testing. You have blood testing. And then the challenge is people don't always understand. They're all very, very different um, and that they all have indications for purposes that work. They all have limitations. Uh, and the science doesn't always, you know, add up for some of these types of tests. So I think I, I wish that the general Western medical population would pay attention a little bit more because I think there are some tests that are legit, that are, you know, that have scientific data behind them that are real. And then there are, there are those that aren't, but I think it just takes some patience in being able to sort through which ones are and which ones aren't. Um, and I do think it's changing slowly over time. I hope so as well. I'd really love to see this break out in the next little bit. But I'd love to shift gears and talk about some of the other work you do, especially with science from scientists, which to my understanding is a foundation to improve STEM education in youth, which I think is so important, especially as a female in, in STEM and something that I wasn't really exposed to growing up or if we learned it in school, no one really told me that I could or should go into it. So I'd love to hear more about science from scientists and what what is the gap that you see in our existing youth education? Oh, what a great question. Um, well, I think now is the time, right? STEM is so important. Uh, everything that we're living through from the pandemic to climate change, to the changing world, the changing needs, you know, plastics in the ocean. Um, I mean, there's just a, a food for the planet. Um, you know, it, STEM affects us so profoundly. And at, at least for me growing up, I was very passionate about science, um, worked on a variety of independent science fair projects, you know, went to a very science oriented school. So I was your quintessential science dork, still am uh, in many ways. And I wanted to bring that, that love of, of science, of investigation, of, you know, a lot of kids in school don't have the opportunity to to do hands-on learning you know teachers really struggle at least you know here in the states teachers really struggle finding activities that are inspirational and motivational um, and many of our teachers especially at the elementary school level you know they're they're they have to do so much they have to teach everything right they, they don't just teach science they have to teach 
they're sort of generalists. They have to teach everything. And science is tough. And many of them really report that they struggle teaching science when they haven't had extensive scientific training themselves. So, you know, it was my personal passion for, for science, um, looking around at the world and realizing that it was very important to educate children at a young age, to inspire them, to get them fired up, uh, but also to, um, you know, to make it educational. So, you know, it, we, we don't just play in the sandbox. It's, we have structured lessons. They are engaging. They are, I hate the word fun because it's so generic, but they are meant to be awesome and exciting, uh, but they're also educational. So we expect that folks in our program are, are learning and that, you know, our donors and sponsors expect to, us to show um, that we've moved the needle. So, you know, I think it's bringing science to life, making science real in the context of what these children are seeing in their day-to-day lives, and then debunking myths that, you know, are, are spread by whether it's media or family, friends, I mean, things they hear um, and teaching them how to ask important questions, right? What is true? What is not true? How can I use my scientific brain to, to really kind of get to the bottom of this? And I think this is the time, you know, where STEM is just so prevalent right now in our lives and getting these kids educated and comfortable is critical. For sure. I, I remember, I think I must've been in grade three or four and we were in our science class and our teacher took us outside and we did like a baking soda and vinegar sort of experiment. And we made the water bottle um, fly up in the air and blow up. And she was like, that was the big bang theory. And we spoke all about that. And I remember that day I was like, oh, science is so cool. And she kind of really put something fun onto it, something applicable, something that we could see. And I attribute a lot from um, having great teachers growing up that kind of did that to show me that science was fun. It wasn't something that was nerdy or for someone else to deal with. But I totally agree that's not the experience for everyone. Science is scary to so many people, especially people who were just told that they weren't good at science or math growing up and they get to high school and they dread going to class every day and really feeling that self-fulfilling prophecy. And I totally agree that it's become just more and more relevant. And this year has really shown that. I mean, there's so much misinformation going around and as much as we can blame the people spreading it, it's also, we have to think about why don't we supply people with the tools to handle that and to go through scientific information and to really understand it themselves. Um, We always are going to need experts in the field, but I do think that um, our society would just benefit so much from that. If science didn't seem like something that only such a small fraction of the population had to deal with the people working in the field. So it it was just so cool to learn about that. And um, it's really exciting to see where that organization goes. It's amazing the work you're doing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been such a neat story. So, you know, we started here in the the greater Boston area, and then uh, now have offices in the California Bay Area and in, uh, in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities area. And then, you know, we've, we were the educational partner of the America's Cup back in 2017. We have had stage shows at Disney World. Um, and the Disney World experience is just so great because, you know, even though there's not as much depth, right? So you're, you're not teaching curriculum over a, a period of many weeks. It's an opportunity to, to touch a huge number of children and families, even to just get a spark going. And then, you know, they can come onto the website and find additional content. But in our full year programs, you know, we, we literally, we go and work with the schools every other week for the entire school year. 
And, um, you know, sometimes we see these children year after year and it's really, really helpful. Um, they, they leave, they share these wonderful quotes of how excited they are and how much they've learned and they go home and they share with their parents and their sisters and brothers and cousins and grandparents. And I think it, it, it's just an organic way of helping to, to teach this material and this content. And like I said, um, Never, I think in our history, has this been such an important topic as it is now. Yeah, I guess it's just shifting science from being quote unquote hard to just being challenging and interesting. The content isn't going to get any easier, but I think it's the perspective we have on it that really just tells people that they're not going to get it before they even start. Yeah, no, you can't make it that way. Um, and it's it's not that way. You know, it. I think it we all learn in different ways. I mean, the other thing that I think we, we really try to do um, at SciSci, that's our, our abbreviated way of, of saying science from scientists, just a big, a lot of words, but is to remember, you know, some people are visual learners, some are auditory, some are tactile, right? So all of our lessons, everything we put together tries to introduce these topics or have the lessons touch all the senses because you never know how a, a child is going to respond. And um, it takes time to do that correctly, right? So all of the lessons are, we design them all in-house. So nothing is like, you know, we don't just go on Google and copy stuff. We actually go and design the lessons. They're all aligned to curriculum frameworks for, uh, you know, for the specific state that we're in. Uh, it, It takes time to do this right. And it takes time to pilot and test the 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 demos and have children try it and see what they think and you know did it work and eh, not so great we you know go back fix it make it better so you know SciSci has been around now for almost 20 years and it it took I'd say at least 10 before curriculum content the the teaching the way we actually are instructors who are all scientists as the name of the company suggests to train them to be able to go in to do this correctly to get the, the, the formula right for how to do it. Because like, you know, as anything in life, right? You, if it's, if you want to do it well, you have to take the time to figure out how to do it. So, and to build that trust with our classroom teachers, with our partners, et cetera. So it's, it's been a very interesting journey. And, you know, then COVID came and all the schools shut down. So we had to take all of our content and turn it virtual. So we're now able to teach these lessons through Zoom um, or any kind of platform. We have take-home lesson kits that the children have, their their own individual kits to be able to do all the experiments for these lessons. It was a huge pivot for us last year. Um, Essentially everything changed at the company in a year, uh, not even, I guess, three or four months. And um, it's been really neat because now we can, we can go anywhere. So you know, depending on the geography of interest, we are able to to service folks outside of our traditional footprints. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess it's the the silver linings. And overall, <laughs> yes. I, I just like to I just like to, to summarize, I guess. What is your secret to success or your passion and finding your motivation? Or in other words, what advice would you give to someone right now who is struggling to stay motivated, find out what they're interested in, or just continue in their successful path? I would, I would start by saying, I think on the, on the success, I'm, I'm still working my way up. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I appreciate, thank you for, for the, for the comment, but I'm, I'm still figuring that out myself, but you know, at least for me, 
you have to find something that you like to do. So it starts with that. You have to, you have to like it. You have to be passionate about it. Um, and especially if you decide you want to be an entrepreneur, you better really like it um, because it takes an insane amount of time and it's, it becomes all encompassing. It, it is like having a child, you know, your, your company is your baby. And when it's brand new, it has all the troubles that a brand new, you know, baby has. If, as it gets bigger, it goes through adolescence. It goes through all these different phases. I mean, it's, so you have to be a thousand percent dedicated and willing to, to, to do it. So that's step one. Um, step two, you know, make sure there are things in your life, whether it's people or activities or hobbies that allow you to breathe and to step away. And I know those two things seem kind of separate because the one is saying, well, I'm going to work all day on my, my company, but you have to still make time for yourself, make time for, you know, to, to keep your mental health and sanity uh, in, a, in a good place. And so that's a very interesting balance. And that's different for everyone. You know, some people can work 20 hours a day and be totally fine. And some people can't. So that's, that's a personal thing. But I think you finding a balance between your work and life is, is super important. Also recognizing the fact that if you don't spend enough time on work, nothing will ever work out. So it's, it's just this weird balance. Um, but it starts with wanting to do it and then building a great team. You know, I've gotten to the point at both companies, there's just no way that I can do it all. It's impossible. And I'm not, we're not even that big. We're pretty small. So it, you have to build a wonderful team, support the people around you, you know, find them, cultivate them. And for those who are wonderful, hold on to them with everything you've got, because they're the ones who help, you know, to enable your dream. Um, and that's tough. Management, people stuff. It's the toughest part of my job. So, you know, it's every day I remind myself, you know, when there's a hard moment, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I really love the fact that I'm helping to educate children in STEM. I'm helping people to live healthier lives, to feel better when they're suffering and struggling with medical, you know, their tummy problems or any problem that they, they're having where Excella helps, helping them to lose weight, whatever it might be. And this reminds me every day of why I'm doing it. But I'm a very mission-driven person. So for me, find something you're passionate about and really, you know, sink your teeth into it. I love that. You don't want to force anything and just keep looking until you find something that really gets you excited because otherwise, yeah, the hard work isn't really worth it if you're, if you're not having fun every day. So I think that's really great advice. Thank you. You bet. You'd be miserable. It's just not worth it. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure to learn more about the gut microbiome, to learn more about your work with SciSci, as you call it, as well as just learn more about you. And if you have any last words, but thank you again. It's been really great. No, best wishes to you. And thanks so much for having me. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I feel like I learned so much, really organized all this information that's floating on the internet about the gut microbiome into one straightforward, factually correct stream in my head. 
and also just got a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of uh, a burst, I guess, to start following my passion, make it happen for myself and make the change that I feel is needed in the world. If you guys enjoyed this conversation as well, feel free to do all the stuff, you know, like on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, subscribe on Spotify, follow the podcast on Instagram at the You Are Not Too Busy podcast. Follow the podcast on Instagram at You Are Not Too Busy podcast. Follow me at No More Wellness. Anyways, have a beautiful week, guys. I love you, and I'll see you on the next episode.